invite you to uh, turn with me in your Bibles once again to the book of Hebrews. And this morning we are in Hebrews chapter 4 and 5. So Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. And when you get there, would you rise out of reverence for God's word as we worship him this morning by studying it together. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and we'll be reading to chapter 5, verse 10. Hear the word of God. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last Lord's Day, when we met together to worship the Lord through the study of his holy word, we talked about the Sabbath rest of God. Hebrews says that we are to make every effort to enter into the Sabbath rest of God. We cease from our works by faith in Jesus Christ, so that our hope and our faith are in God. And Hebrews also said that we are to examine ourselves lest any of us have fallen short of that Sabbath rest through disbelief flowing out of a disobedient heart. The Sabbath rest of God means entering into his personal presence in intimate and personal fellowship with him for all eternity. We were designed for a relationship with God. And as long as we are separated from him, we will always feel a degree of dissatisfaction. Therefore, the greatest joy and bliss for the human soul is to be in the presence of God. For that is what we were created for. 
But while last week we looked at the fact that it is necessary to enter into the Sabbath rest of God, for the promise of entering that rest still stands, we did not yet see how we can enter into God's Sabbath rest. What makes that possible? Or better, who makes that possible? And this is what we now turn to in our passage this morning, starting at the end of chapter 4 and going into chapter 5. Because it is through the high priesthood of, God, of Christ and what he did in offering his perfect sacrifice, that is the how, how we can enter into the Sabbath rest of God. And so this morning we're going to take a look at four points coming out of our passage in four sections. First of all, we're going to look at our great high priest. It's verses 14 to 16. Secondly, we're going to see how the high priest is a human representative. And that's chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. And then thirdly, we're going to see the high priest also has a unique relationship to God. Verses 4 to 6 of chapter 5. And fourthly, we're going to look at the perfection of the high priest in verses 7 to 10. So once again, the four points are our, our great high priest. The high priest is a human representative. The high priest has a unique relationship to God. And then the perfection of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. So let us begin by looking at the first section, verses 14 to 16, where Hebrews unveils the greatness of our high priest. Look with me at verse 14. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So we have a great high priest, the greatest high priest, the greatest possible high priest. Why? Because he has passed through the heavens. In the Jewish conception of heaven, there were three levels or three heavens. The third heaven was the highest heaven where God himself dwells. So when Hebrew says here that Jesus has passed through the heavens, plural, it means that Jesus has not just entered into heaven, but he has passed through to the highest level of heaven, to the very presence of God. And no priest has ever done that. No high priest has ever entered heaven, let alone the highest heaven. A high priest was only allowed to enter the Holy of Holies in the temple once a year on the Day of Atonement. And the Holy of Holies, that room represented God's presence on earth. It represented a tiny glimpse of heaven. But it was not actually heaven. It was a representation of heaven. But Jesus, on the other hand, the Son of God, he actually entered heaven itself. And he passed through the heavens to the highest level, into the very presence of the living God. And that's why he's such a great high priest. But because Jesus is such a great high priest, and because he is divine as the Son of God, that is why we must hold on tight to our confession. We cannot give up. We must cling to what we believe. We cannot let go. We must hold on for dear life. And what are we holding on to? It says here, it says our confession. That is our confession of faith in Jesus Christ. That he is the Son of God. 
And that he is our mediating high priest before God the Father. That is what we cling to. That is what we hold fast to. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this verse teaches us that our great high priest can fully relate to our human experience. He can sympathize with all of our weaknesses because in his humanity, he experienced all of our weaknesses. He walked a mile in our shoes for 33 years and he knows what it's like to be a human being. He went through hardships. He experienced weakness and he was tempted. So he even knows what it's like to struggle with the temptation to sin. The only difference between us and Jesus is that he always had victory over temptation. He never fell even once. He was completely without sin. And someone might ask then, well, could Jesus have sinned? Was that a possibility? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. As to Christ's humanity, he was not born with Adam's original sin, as all of us have been. Therefore, Jesus as a man was similar to Adam before the fall. And like Adam, Jesus had the freedom to fall into sin. But the difference is, is while Adam fell into disobedient rebellion against God, Jesus never sinned. Not even once. And that makes his perfect obedience before the Father meaningful and real. But on the other hand, according to the deity of Christ and the plan of God for the salvation of his people, then Jesus could not have sinned. So the answer is both yes and no. But it is very important to know that Jesus lived a sinless life. And it's very important to know why. Jesus had to be perfect and innocent and pure in order so that he could be an acceptable sacrifice on the cross. That is so important for us to understand. Jesus had to be sinless. If Jesus even had one <laughs> If Jesus even had one sin on his record, then he would not be a spotless sacrifice before God. He would not be a holy sacrifice. And so he would not be acceptable by God. If Jesus were a sinner, even to the least extent, then he would be offering a soiled and imperfect sacrifice before the Father. And such a sacrifice would not be acceptable or pleasing to God, and therefore it would not be able to save anybody. But it was a perfect sacrifice that the great high priest presented to God the Father. It is a sacrifice that is able to save. And so because we have a great high priest who offered himself as a perfect and sinless sacrifice, Hebrews exhorts us in verse 16 to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace in, to help in time of need. What a precious promise this is. Because Jesus has traveled through the heavens to the highest heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father. And because he has offered a perfect, sinless sacrifice as our great high priest, 
we have access into the throne room of a gracious God. And notice with me how Hebrews puts that. He says, the throne of grace. Now, why does he say it like that? It's because Hebrews is emphasizing the fact that God is completely gracious on the basis of Christ's sacrifice. Outside of Christ's sacrifice, God is a consuming fire of wrath. But on the basis of Christ's perfect high priestly sacrifice, God is completely gracious. Knowing that then, our attitude becomes one of boldness and confidence to approach. Not with arrogance, as if we somehow deserve to approach the throne, as if we are entitled to come near. No, it's still with fear and trembling that we come near. But our confidence is that we can come near to the throne of God because of his grace. This verse does not mention prayer here. It doesn't use the word prayer. But that's clearly what it's talking about here. We can be confident that our prayers reach the ears of Almighty God. Not because of their own intrinsic value, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can be confident of receiving mercy from God on that same basis. And what does it mean, the mercy of God? Well, that's talking about forgiveness for sin. We can be confident that God will be merciful to us when we confess our sin to him on the basis of Christ's sacrifice. But also, we can find grace for help in time of need as we cry out to him. <clears throat> so we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Whether that's for confession of sin to find mercy or crying out to the Lord for grace in times of help. That's all possible because we have a great high priest. Take away that great high priest and we have no access to God whatsoever. Our second point this morning is that the high priest is a human representative. And that's what verses 1 to 3 of chapter 5 are talking about. Let's look at verse 1 together. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So verse 1 tells us what a high priest does. He is appointed to act on behalf of men. That is... He is a representative of other human beings before God. Aaron, the brother of Moses, he was the first high priest. And when Aaron carried out his high priestly duties, he did so on behalf of <laughs> the Israelites. He represented the entire nation of Israel. And so when Aaron offered gifts and sacrifices for sins, on behalf of Israel, it was as though all Israel was offering those sacrifices. So that's what a high priest does. He represents. He stands in place of. He acts on behalf of others. So verse 2 says, He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. And so verses 2 and 3 show two sides of the coin for the high priest. One positive and one negative. Here is the positive side. The high priest can relate to the weak people that he represents. Because he himself is weak. 
He can be gentle and patient with them because he understands what they're going through, for he faces the same things. And so in reference to Christ's high priesthood then, Jesus can relate to us in our weakness because he himself has experienced weakness in his humanity. Because Jesus was a man, he can represent other human beings. And also because he is a man, he can deal gently with our weaknesses. For he knows what we go through. And he sympathizes with our struggles. What a beautiful comfort it is to know that Jesus knows all about our struggles. Are you weary and downtrodden, O Christian? Are you disheartened and burdened? Do you know that Jesus knows all about it? That he sympathizes with you and is dealing with you gently? That's the positive side of the high priesthood. Verse 3 now shows us the negative side of the coin. Verse 3, because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Verse 3 is an important verse, because this reveals a big hole in the high priesthood. It is a wide, gaping hole. It is a big problem. Aaron and his descendants, who served as high priests, they represented Israel, but they were imperfect representatives. They were sinful representatives. They only had to, they not only had to offer sacrifices for the people that they were representing, but they also had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. And this is why it had to happen over and over and over and over and over again. It was never good enough. All it did was prevent the wrath of God from breaking out against the people of Israel and destroying them for their sin when they broke his holy law. That's why it needed to happen repeatedly. And so these three verses, verses 1 to 3, reveal that Jesus was like a human high priest who represented his people. And that's why Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. This is why Jesus had to become a human being, so that he could be truly be our representative before God. And that too is a comfort for us, that Jesus is our perfect representative. If we are taken to court, most of us do not know the law codes of Canada well enough to represent ourselves. We don't necessarily have the the necessary experience anyway. And that's why we need a representative. If we are taken to court, we need a lawyer to represent us before the court and before the judge. In a similar way, Jesus Christ is our personal representative before the Father because we cannot stand before him in ourselves. And Jesus is not just my representative, but he is my perfect human representative. He is like me in every way except my sin. So that he can stand in my place and he can present my case. But when he makes my case, it is not on the basis of my righteousness, but on the basis of his, capital R, righteousness. And so now we've seen that Jesus is the great high priest. We've seen that his function as high priest is to represent his sheep before the Father. Because as a human, he can legitimately represent other humans And as a perfect human, his representation is successful and effective. Our third point this morning comes from verses 4 to 6. The high priest also has a unique relationship to God. 
And so we've just seen the high priest is related to humankind as a representative. And now we see that the high priest also has a position with regard to God. For the high priest is not just a representative, but he's also a mediator. He represents us to the Father, and he represents the Father to us. So verse 4 says, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So the high priest is a calling. The high priesthood, rather, is a calling. It's a vocation. Not just anybody can decide to be a high priest. Little kids in Israel couldn't say, When I grow up, I want to be the high priest. No. God decides who is going to represent himself as a mediator before the people. The brother of Moses was Aaron, and Aaron did not get to decide to be the high priest. He, he was called to that office by God. And he could not refuse God's calling either. God is the one who appoints and ordains someone to the high priesthood. So verse 5 says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Just as Aaron was called and appointed to his high priesthood, so Christ was called and appointed to his high priesthood. Hebrews takes two quotations here from the book of Psalms. The first one is taken from Psalm 2. You are my son, today I have begotten you. This is two statements. Do you see? It's two statements there. First, God declares the sonship of the Messiah. That is, his divine nature. Then second, God also declares the son's appointment to an office. When God says, today I have begotten you, that is like saying, today I have appointed you to a new office. And then the second quotation, taken from Psalm 110, tells us what this new office is that the Father has appointed the Son to, to the eternal high priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus was not appointed to the priestly order of Aaron. Instead, he was called to a categorically superior priestly order, the order of Melchizedek, according to Psalm 110. And if you've noticed, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, in each of the chapters of Hebrews so far, we have learned how Jesus is categorically superior. In chapter 1, his message is categorically superior to the message of the prophets, because they were speaking the word of the Lord as servants, whereas he is speaking as the Son. Also in chapter 1, Jesus is categorically superior to the angels, for they are ministering servants, but he is the divine Son of God. This carries on into chapter 2, where Jesus again, is categorically different from the angels, for he is also a human being, made like his brothers in every way. Then in chapter 3, we saw how Jesus is categorically superior to Moses, for Moses was faithful in God's household as a servant, but Jesus is faithful as a son over the household of God. And then in chapter 4, we saw that Jesus is categorically superior to Joshua, because all Joshua did was lead the children of Israel into the promised land of Canaan, which was a temporary rest. But Jesus brings us into the eternal Sabbath rest of God, into his heavenly presence. Amen. And so in each of these chapters, we've seen how Jesus is categorically superior to all others. 
And now, here in chapter 5, we see that Jesus is categorically superior to Aaron and every high priest who came after him. For Aaron was a sinful high priest who needed sacrifices made for his own sins. And so his mediation before God was always stained with sin. But Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And now Hebrews is going to have, have a lot more to say about Melchizedek in chapter 7. And in chapter 7, verse 2, he will tell us what the name Melchizedek means. It means king of righteousness. King of righteousness. So it is like saying here that Jesus is a part of the eternal order of kingly righteousness here. Therefore, what Hebrews is saying is that Jesus is a high priest who is at the same time a king who is righteous with a capital R. And so this is in stark contrast to the Aaronic priesthood made up of sinful men who needed sacrifices offered for them. And their priesthood was only temporary, lasting merely the length of their lives. Therefore, the Melchizedekian high priesthood of Jesus Christ is categorically superior to the Aaronic high priesthood of Aaron and his descendants. And this means that the mediation that Jesus Christ performs is categorically better than the mediation of Aaron. So we are not depending upon the blood of bulls and goats and sheep to take away sin just until the next time that we fall into sin. No, instead we are depending upon the precious blood of the God-man who represents his fellow humans to God and God to humans in his mediating work. So far we have looked at the great high priest that we have, one who represents us before the Father and also one who mediates between us and the Father with a perfect and righteous office, superior to that of Aaron. And that brings us to our fourth and final point this morning, the perfection of the high priest. Verses 7 to 10. Verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 7 here is very interesting. It describes the earthly life of Jesus as one of tearful prayers and crying petitions. This reminds us that, that Jesus faced hardships. He had weaknesses. And so he poured out his heart to God. But at the same time, this shows his total and utter dependence upon God. Trusting in him completely. Throwing himself upon the mercy of God. And it is said here that God listened to Jesus due to his reverence. And this is like saying that God responded to the innocence and righteousness and perfection and purity of Jesus Christ. And so God delivered him from death. But wait a moment, you might say. Jesus died on the cross in a horrible manner. God didn't save him from death. <laughs> but we must understand that when Hebrews talks about death here, he means death with a capital D. Eternal death 
God saved Jesus from eternal death by resurrecting him from the dead. But the suffering of Jesus' life leading up to his torture and humiliation and death as a criminal on the cross, all of this served a purpose. He was the Son of God, but the incarnation of becoming a human being was like a crown prince, the heir to the royal throne, leaving the palace to spend time as a commoner, gaining new experience, learning how humans live, learning how to depend upon God in obedience in the midst of suffering. And so, in a certain sense, in Christ's humanity, he was perfected through suffering, the obedient dependence upon God through that suffering. And Hebrews had already said this. He said this back in 2 verse 10, which said, For it is fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It is suffering that perfected Christ in his obedience. But it is out of this attained perfection through suffering that God appoints Jesus to be the great high priest, not after the order of Aaron, but rather after the order of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. And as a result, he is the source of our eternal salvation. And so as we close this morning, what does this all add up to? What is the bottom line here? It's that Jesus is awesome. Yes. He's, he's not on the periphery of our faith. He is the core and the center of our faith. He is our great high priestly representative who can sympathize with what we're going through. And he can relate to our human experience and to our weaknesses that we have. And he can even relate to the temptations that we suffer. As man, he represents us to God. And as God, he represents the Father to us. He is not like other high priests who were sinners who needed atonement themselves. He was without sin. And so he could offer a perfect sacrifice that does not need to be repeated. And so through his obedient suffering in going to the cross, he has become the source of eternal salvation for us. And so, let us not neglect such a great Savior, our perfect high priest. And let us not neglect such a great salvation. Let us grasp onto and understand how Jesus is our great high priest. Let that understanding sink deep into our minds so that we will draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we can approach a gracious God who is propitious towards us because of our great high priest. It is because of him that we can have the expectation that we will receive from God mercy and grace in our times of need. Let us pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. We thank you for this mighty passage from your word that unveils the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. Father, we know that Hebrews will have a lot more to say about this later on. But he has given us a preview of things to come. That, that it, it means everything that we have a high priest who has gone through the heavens, who has, sit down, who has sat down at your right hand, 
who is interceding for us, who can sympathize with us, who is perfect himself, does not need to be not need to make a repeated sacrifice. That he is our source of eternal salvation. Father, help us to grasp onto these things. Help us to meditate upon these things so that they sink down deep into our souls and that it overflows in love for you and then in love for those around us. Father, change us, we pray. Convict us. Make us more like your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.